Second episode, and yes, you are listening to the number one film and television podcast on iTunes, according to not the iTunes charts, but I have a very, very good source that has told me that. With me today, I've got Adam Myros. Good evening, Steve. I've got Sean Glennis. Uh It's been a while, Steve. And, uh, it's been a while for everyone. It's been even longer for me because I was on the Breencast. Um, but... Uh, We've seen a lot. We've seen the end of Harambe. Um, we've seen uh, the all-female reboot of uh, My Dinner with Andre, and I'm just <laughs> we're good to be back. What is That's happening? Right. This is the introduction. You're supposed to say, hello, Steve. Yeah. Glad to be here. Yeah, listen, we'll get into My Dinner with Andrea later. <laughs> Steve Coleman, you fuckboy with a busted-ass lap- lap- laptop, how are you doing? Uh, I'm great. Oh, my God. feel God. great. Yeah, you don't feel great, do you? Because your laptop's <laughs> nope. a real pile of nope. shit. We're just talking about how my mom has a computer with Windows ME on it, and it runs Skype better than yours. <laughs> How was your bachelor party this weekend? Uh, you get married? At- yeah. <laughs> Someday. That's good. It's uh, good to plan ahead with those. Yeah. <laughs> it was a dry run for the real thing. That's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, you'll, be, you'll totally be ready now. I know it. I mean, anybody who's not married can have a bachelor party. That's true. That's true. Anybody can do it. Really? Oh, you just you just need a couple pals and you know a bottle of Midori and you just cut loose, cut loose. <laughs> That's it. Every day is a bachelor party for for most of us right now. That's right. Since we're all unhitched. What's in that movie was that Tom Hanks or Tom? Cruise? It was it's Tom Hanks, eighty four, eighty four, and some cool guy sidekick. I think it was Bill Murray's brother. Actually, I think Joel Murray is his uh, partner in crime. No, it's some for Brian from, Doyle. It's, it's a guy from Greece too. I literally have no idea what any of you are talking about, but hey, here's what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing fine too, Sean. Thirsty, thanks. I did. I I said you were here, didn't I? No, you didn't. Oh, I didn't? Shit. I I thought I did. It's a real damn tight ship. You know, my problem is Sean started talking about that damn gorilla and my dinner with Andre, and I just (laughs) lost it. (laughs) Well, um, Jake, I'm glad that you're here out of this L.A. traffic and you didn't do a falling down incident. Yeah. Did you, were you able to get your pancakes from McDonald's? Yeah, I got my I got my guac bowl and I'm good to go. Oh, that's good. Well, you got- see, here in 2016, they've made it all day to avoid future falling down incidents. That's that's pretty much it. People always ask, like, what are we doing to stop gun violence in America? And you <laughs> know, all day breakfast. Yeah, all day breakfast is that's that's the start, and it always starts somewhere. Yeah. I, I do want to clarify to Myros, by the way, I was talking about Joel Murray, not uh, Brian Doyle Murray. Oh well, no, I, I did, I, I've seen Bachelor Party, and I know that Brian Doyle Murray would be a strange every, choice for the sidekick. But uh, every time, every time uh, Brian Doyle Murray uh, is on screen, um, my dad goes, "You know who that is, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good because you probably do know now. You were telling, him, "Oh yeah, isn't that John Belushi's brother?" <laughs> oh, so, yeah, Bill Murray. All right, we're not talking about Bill Murray, goddammit. Jake, what are we talking about today? What's going on? Oh, man. So we are talking about Keanu Reeves. Oh, God, why? National treasure. Well, he starred in three films that all turned 25 this year. Um, I think we can all agree they're on varying quality. Um, would, so, I don't know if I would agree that he's a national treasure, though. I was being... No, he's, Nicholas he's, he's, Cana- he's Canadian. Oh. Well, actually, he was born in Lebanon, but... Um, Lebanese. Anyways, He's yeah. a Lebanese treasure. He's a Lebanese treasure. Anyways, well, that's a nation, too. You know. So Keanu Reeves seems to <laughs> never really get his due, so that's why we've come here to congregate and discuss why he may be the finest working actor of all time. I, I prefer his bass playing a dog star. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we all, we all kind of do, I, I think. I, I love dog star. I got all their albums. I keep them next to my Steven Seagal albums. The, St- the Stan Brackage film, Dog Star Man? That's the one. So, yeah, Keanu Reeves tends to get kind of a bad rap because, I don't know, I, I really think 
he's better than people give him credit for most of the time. Uh, John Wick mm-hmm. is really great. Uh, yeah. I, I most people seem to think he was the only thing tolerable in the Neon Demon, yeah. which yeah, I haven't but, seen. You know. I agree. I think uh, we'll get to this down the road, but especially watching the uh, new Point Break version and contrasting that, oh. the, those leads uh, uh, really brought an appreciation, extra appreciation of Keanu Reeves. But yeah, he's good. I, I don't know. I, I think it seems like the stigma is just because he was like so like Californian, like a typecaster, you know, like that type of vernacular. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's kind of... I mean, it's sort of his fault. When you hear his voice, I mean, he's perfect in Bill and Ted because he is Ted. Like, there's there's no, <laughs> like, the character is him, he is the character. There's there's no separating the two. That's his voice. That's how he always sounds. And even, in, you know, in serious movies like My Own Private Idaho or uh, maybe not so serious movies where he's playing a character that we're supposed to take seriously, like, huh, say Point Break, the accent just kind of heightens the hilarity, and and you get this with other actors too. Like, uh, doesn't he sort of, um, I guess, in his career, like with Point Break, kind of subvert that because he's putting it on at times, right, to fit in in Point Break. Yeah, I, I guess, I in a sense, Although, he yeah. is. Yeah, but I mean, it's the same way when when you hear Nicolas Cage. When Nicolas Cage gets excited in certain movies, especially early on in his career, and he just sounds super like Valley Girl Nick Cage. It's the same thing. Yeah, Whatever I think that that's is. a key thing to it is saying early on in his career. Like I think Keanu has grown significantly from the time period we're looking at today. Yeah, um, he was in that uh, biopic of Chris Hardball. What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hardball. Chris, Chris Matthews of Hardball. <laughs> That's it, the Chris Matthews. <laughs> True. He, he didn't really commit to the look, though. <laughs> oh Lord. Okay, so uh, why don't we start? Let's start on a on a a high point, shall we? Can we can we do that? Well, yeah. yeah. I really want to talk about Point Break because I love okay. Point Break more than anything. This has been a great weekend for me because yesterday we recorded a new show which we haven't revealed yet, but that'll come soon enough. And I got to talk to Sean about Commando, which I love dearly. And now we get to talk about what's probably my favorite '90s action movie. And the only thing that makes me sad is that we weren't able to have a shotgun wedding where we pair Point Break with uh, Drop Zone. But let's talk about Point Break. <laughs> <laughs> could still happen. It could. It could still ha- Why don't we just dedicate an entire podcast to just Drop Zone and how cool Wesley Snipes is in Drop Zone and nothing else? Yeah, why not? I think we could do it. So next two episodes, Drop Zone and the Brian Doyle Murray cast. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Well, guys, I, I told you, you know. We're, we're, Ice cream man. We're top of the charts here. Clint Howard. Man. We, got, we got to give people what they want. <laughs> Sorry. Clint Famous Howard brothers. is another one. Clint <laughs> Howard is another one where my, my dad goes, you know who that is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a hideously deformed Ron Howard. <laughs> Uh yeah, Point Break. Point Break is great. I haven't seen this movie since like the '90s when my my uncle showed it to me and my brother. And my uncle is pretty much Patrick Swayze in this movie, but in real life. Oh wow! So does does he shoot anyone? Has your has your uncle killed someone? Maybe he's a, he was a real bad boy, sort of in and out of prison, stealing stuff here and there, doing wearing cut off jeans. Yeah, and had long hair, and yeah, man. he was a wild man, and uh, yeah, much like Swayze himself. But he said damn instead of dang. He was probably he probably thought that that was the uh protagonist. <laughs> well, Point Break is pretty incredible because I did something which I would advise everyone to do. Well, first of all, I I owned the Point Break Blu-ray which can be had for like $5 or less any day of the week on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And it comes with more extras than you could ever imagine. It's just completely jam-packed. And so I listened to these people talk about the movie that they made and the movie that they starred in and all these little like short mini documentaries about the making of Point Break. And they are convinced that it is a very serious, very philosophical, very spiritual movie. Like everyone Mm. is very, very, very serious about Point Break. And even while they were making it, Patrick Swayze was so committed to the role that the insurance company that was, uh, you know, insuring the film, they they basically told him that they weren't going to insure the film if he wouldn't stop skydiving because he kept going skydiving after they would go filming. So very, very committed to their roles. Apparently, Swayze's never been more ripped in his life. I believe it. You could iron a shirt on that chest. And, yeah, and, and this is Keanu's really... 
it's kind of his his breakout into a, a I don't want to say more serious role, but a Hollywood leading man role, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. If not an action star. Yeah. Which I don't know how well that went for him, just because he's not really a very believable tough guy. Although, I guess John Wick doesn't really count. But uh, this is still an era where we're, we're having an Arnold Schwarzenegger hangover, and then you throw Keanu Reeves into the mix. But he does yeah, it well. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he's complaining. He probably made about uh, half a billion dollars from starring in action movies over the last 20 years. Yeah. Well, and, think, and oh, go ahead, Sean. I, I was just going to say, like, uh, you talking about how, like, uh, they thought it was spiritual and philosophical. It's such a good movie because it doesn't seem concerned with those things. Um, like, it's just a cool movie that's taught and also has, like, great character dynamics and blah, blah, blah. Like, there are lots of things that we can probably talk about. But uh, it's just, like... Cool. And I was thinking, I, and this might just be like anecdotal, but like it, it seemed like uh, movies like 90s, like bank heist movies like this were like just like really cool, like this and like Heat and other Michael Mann stuff. And mm-hmm. um, it made me think that like movies, like bank heist movies nowadays, like that's sort of like their central like reference point. But, uh, you know, in, instead of, you know, like Dog Day Afternoon, which if you ask me is more like Catnap Afternoon. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, hot take. <laughs> but yeah, it's just like good. It's just like good fun, and like um, the the casting is really good. Like I could watch Gary Busey read Calvin and Hobbes all day. <laughs> Gary Busey too. It, oh my god! So again, with the Blu-ray extras, you need to watch the interview with Gary Busey because you can tell that he probably talked to them for twelve hours straight, and then they just had to like cut it down to five or ten minutes. He's completely unhinged, and it turns out the reason he's so unhinged is because this was supposed to be his big comeback movie after the motorcycle accident. Like, the accident had happened just a few months before, so his brain is, it, it's essentially grape jelly at this point. So this, we were at uh, peak, the accident. Yeah, peak crazy Gary Busey. And uh, also, he improved just endlessly. He would not stop improving. So, I, I mean, obviously the famous meatball subline. <laughs> which I, I i don't know if, if you haven't seen point break there's a point where uh keanu and uh Pappas, who's played by gary Busey, they're going out scouting something out and he's like yeah the kid go go, go me a meatball sub from around the corner it's a good meatball sub place two subs two meatball subs it's just and it's apropos of absolutely nothing it's just the scene that's dropped in the movie and wasn't edited out for some reason yeah it's it's just strange stylistic uh, truth my favorite is uh, speaking to the microphone, Squid Brain. <laughs> well, and he he also talks about how his character, you'll occasionally see his character on screen, again, just out of nowhere, like pull out these weird, like miniature hand-rolled cigar things. It looks like he's smoking a blunt. And <laughs> he, he's actually in the Blu-ray special features. He's holding one of the, the cigars, the same type of cigar. He's like, this is a very special cigar. It's a, you know, it's a blah, 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 Honduran, blah, blah, blah. But it's a, they call it the cigarro. And he says something in Spanish. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? So he just brought like a box of cigars with him and he just lit them up at random. <laughs> God bless Gary Busey. As you do. Uh, uh, I said to all of you guys earlier that uh, Johnny Utah has to be like one of the coolest uh, character names. Oh yeah. Almost as good as Colonel John Matrix. Yeah. Um I I mean to get sort of like deeper into the things like I re- what I really appreciate about this movie it's like I don't know like to just to persuade people to watch it who are just like yeah it's just like a cool action movie is like um <clears throat> The way that, like, tension is cultivated is really nice and subtle and, like, played into that the way that, like, um, I mentioned character, character dynamics. This, uh, like, fr- like, friendship between um, uh, Swayze and Keanu as just, like, they're not just, like, good guy and bad guy. They're, like, he's not really villainized as much as just, like, two people on different sides. Um, and he has to, like, Johnny Utah has to do something about him because it's his job or, you know, he, wa- he wants to be good at his job. And it's just sort of like this unfortunate friendship. Um, but it's not just like, so in the new one, it's just like, that's all it is. It's just this bad guy who looks bad and, and just like very two-dimensional. Two and that was like really refreshing because you don't get that um, ever really um, in many like action movies. You get these like three-dimensional bad guys. Sure. Well, and Swayze's character 
it's tough for Keanu to really get angry at him, like you said, because he's he's a guy who Keanu gets along with, he's interested in, and on top of that, he knows that, okay, they're robbing these banks, they're in and out really quick, they've never hurt anyone, and all the money's insured, and they're just, they're not using it to, you know, fund drug smuggling or, you know, this, that, or the other thing. All they're doing is just chasing this endless summer thing where they go around uh, robbing banks and then that funds their ability to surf all winter and then they come back and they do it again and that's it. So not really hurting anybody. So when Keanu grows close to him, it's like, okay, well, I could see why there's some conflict here. But And you don't really get that, and I'd imagine you don't get that at all in the 2015 version. Oh, no. It's an onslaught. Yeah. Myros, what did you think of the 2015 version? It was just like a Warren Miller movie, like extreme sports montage and... Uh, it, it's, there's it's the guy that makes skiing movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it was. It was. It might as well fucking bet a skiing movie here. It was just like, hey, look, isn't it cool that we fucking got this extreme shot in the middle of a wave? It's like, yeah, who gives a shit? How about making a fucking movie? But uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't really bother with any of that. And the cast is like impossibly wooden, and it's just a chore to sit through. No meatball subs. No, no, that would be character, and and there is none. Wow, that's too bad. I got some meatball sub for you right here. There is a sandwich shop. They sell meatball sandwiches. <laughs> Best I've ever tasted. Would you go get me two? Come on, partner. Great. Thank you. <laughs> See, I think my favorite thing about that scene is just that there's like that beat, yeah. and you then know. like it, it's like ten, fifteen seconds later where he goes, Utah, give me two. <laughs> it's just like it's that shows the hand of like an interesting director because yeah. that could that's cut out of almost every movie. You know who directed Point Break, don't you? Catherine, yeah, Bigelow. Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, yeah, Catherine Bigelow. Bam Bam Bigelow's yeah. sister, which is Her so crowning achievement as a filmmaker. I think it's such a yeah. That's such an interesting thing because like, it's such like like it's a movie that you want to hang out in, and it's such like a guy's movie. Mm-hmm. Well, they they actually talk about this again in the special features. So Catherine Bigelow uh, didn't want to be interviewed. I can't imagine why. Maybe she's embarrassed. I, I don't know why she would be. But all of the actors and actresses, uh, they all talked about how they were happy that Catherine Bigelow was the director because she brought like a, a different perspective to a really testosterone-y, like, dude-bro action film. So it kind of gives it a little bit more depth. And they, everybody agreed that, yeah, it wouldn't be the same movie if it wasn't her directing it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. Maybe that's why it is so, like, empathetic towards, like, uh, the bad guys or, you know, whatever. Um, not that it can just be boiled down to that. But, uh, you know, it's not as, like, competitive, which is, like, you know, a traditional masculine trait. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also, I, I really like the choice for the female lead, too. Uh, God, I can't, I can't think of her name right now off the top uh, of my head. Lori Petty. Lori Petty, man. Yeah, Lori Petty. A.K.A. Tom Petty's sister. Yeah, Tom Petty's sister. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's just... Uh, I mean, this is a time... We're talking early 1990s, so... Uh, you know, this is, you're expecting, like, a Baywatch girl, essentially, to be cast in this role. And, and that's what she's playing. She's playing, like, a surfer girl. So you expect platinum blonde hair and big fake boobs and all this stuff. And they chose a very unique, different-looking actress for the lead yeah, role. And she's I think almost androgynous at times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or at least by comparison. But... Uh, yeah, um, another th- like sort of reference point, and I'm, I'm interested to hear uh, your guys' thoughts, and especially you, Jake. But um, this, I'm sure this has been made a lot, this comparison. Um, you see it through this movie of Keanu as sort of like a proto-Paul Walker because, um, you know, he was in so many movies like this in his career, and they have a certain cadence that's similar, and they've gotten a certain flack for, for acting that Californian way. Yeah, and it's interesting because the first Fast and Furious movie is essentially just point break with cars instead of uh, surfboards. And I do see you can draw that a lot is of... A better, that is a better remake than the 2015 one. Yeah, that's a, yeah, Fast and Furious is a better point break film than point break 2015. Um, but no, I agree. I think uh, Paul Ro- Walker, RIP, he does kind of have like that... Like he when he speaks, he has a very limited delivery as to how he can handle all the lines but i think he 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 has a good screen presence at the very least and can carry himself well in an action sequence um if his films weren't always the best action films yeah i think that's fair 
Yeah. Wasn't was, wasn't Paul Walker in a surfing movie too? What was his surfing yeah, movie? Yeah, Into the Blue. Into the Blue. Oh yeah, with Jessica Alba. Uh, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't surfing, but it was uh, aquatic. <laughs> like deep sea, deep sea diving, right? maritime fun. Yeah, yeah, it's sea, sea diving and and looking for booty booty yeah. in more ways than one. If you know what I mean. Oh, hey, <laughs> we got ourselves a comedian here. I this really guy got into the blue. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord, <laughs> I always get that movie confused with Blue Crush. Well, Blue Streak. Uh, no, no, well, that's of course a slightly not. different film. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, yeah. What about Blue Chips? Thin uh, Blue Line. No, my favorite. I think my favorite. <laughs> My favorite line in this movie that just made me laugh like so hard was Tom Sizemore uh, undercover being like, you think I like this hair? <laughs> <laughs> that part was good. There's some awesome action scenes in this. Like that shootout in the house where I get to, if it feels a fantasy for me, not some male power fantasy of like, you know, doing a drug bust on a drug house. Uh, it's a power fantasy where I get to see uh, Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers shot in the foot and then watch him cry. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he's one of two uh, chili peppers in these Keanu ninety one films. Yeah, a lot of yeah. chili pepper action going on. Is is this what yeah. these guys did at the time? They're like, oh well, blood sucks, sugar, magic, whatever the fuck was successful. Let's all be terrible actors. I think they just because yes. they're always L A guys are always around. And, yeah, oh, yeah. just find them yeah. under the bridge, right? Just you know, <laughs> drop onto a set. <laughs> But no, amazingly, the, the action is so incredibly well done and still holds up. I mean, in the middle of the foot chase, uh, Patrick Swayze in a Ronald Reagan mask throws a pit bull at Keanu Reeves, who then proceeds to drop kick it before continuing on the chase. I oh, mean, yeah. that's just something you don't see ever. No, and, and it's it, it's tough to make a foot chase as exciting as a car chase, and they do it. So. Right. Yeah, and that's, it's especially pronounced when juxtaposed with the 2015 version. Uh, when Myros and I were watching this, I was talking about how noticeable it was that like um, you don't really know what's going on in the 2015 one. Like it's just a bunch of editing, and Point Break is like kinetic, but is like not overly edited, and you get to like you know rest your eyes on a scene for like more than you know half a second or, or a third of a second. Sure. Also, every character in the Point Break remake has like. Sharpie tattoos that were like scrawled <laughs> on their chest in various oh, obnoxious Lord. places. <laughs> That's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. So general consensus is uh, Point Break 1991, amazing. Point Break 2015, not even worth watching for free. Not even worth pirating. That's, no. That, that's no. true. That's, that's good. A waste of your time. Fair enough. I'm. I'm <laughs> I just like that, Myros, you drove to Sean's house to watch Point Break 2015, and then you just uh, drove home. You know, honestly, I, I thought we were going to be watching the original, and then that didn't happen. So <laughs> That's going to be one of the top ten disappointments of your life. <laughs> I wasn't real thrilled, especially since I had quite a backlog to get through, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll knock out some of this homework. And then I was like, Almost no, as bad no, as that we're time. This. Almost bad, as bad as that time you really thought you were going to get Taco Bell, but never got Taco Bell. That was another great disappointment in life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a little inside baseball. <laughs> well, should we move ball? on? Yeah, I guess we should, I guess we should move on. Should move on. <laughs> yeah. Inside hardball with Chris Matthews. <laughs> okay, let's, let's jump to something that's ostensibly a little bit more serious, um, although I would argue not nearly as good, which uh, might put me in the minority. Maybe we'll get some angry emails, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Uh, we watched My Own Private Idaho, and uh-huh. uh, that is Gus Van Zant of Elephant and Kurt Cobain fame. These are his most famous films. <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all he's yeah. ever done. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's it. Nothing else. Uh, he did the Goodwill Hunting. He did the uh, Drugstore Cowboy. Milk. Yeah, Harvey yeah. Milk. Harvey Milk. I think, I think he's doing the uh, all-female reboot of Milk as well. Ah, what's that one called? Breast Milk. Ah, boom. <laughs> Two I did points. not mean to go there. Uh, uh, oh God. Sorry, you set me up for that. Um. I think no, it's even cowboys get the blues. <laughs> even cowboys get the blues. That yeah, that's that's it. He also did the shot for shot remake of Psycho for some reason. Yeah, for some reason. Now here's the ultimate question. What Would about you rather Forrester? What? I don't even know what yeah. that is. Oh yeah, you're the man dog. Oh, dog. <laughs> oh that. Yeah, did he do that? He did. Shit, <laughs> was he? He must have been a real. Films. He did oh, Paranoid God. Park and Promised Land and Hey, 
trees. We could talk about Paranoid Park because my theory is Paranoid Park is basically a better version of of my own private Idaho, which is I'm sure wildly unpopular. If there's any film nerds listening right now, they're probably grinding their teeth. I, something about my own private Idaho, I, it just it didn't completely click with me, and it's weird because I think. River Phoenix has a, a real screen presence that's completely undeniable. Like he he steals every scene that he's in. Um, he's incredible. He grounds the movie. He makes it tolerable. But there's so many yeah, he, points. He doesn't have to do anything for you to just be like captivated. Yeah, but there's no, so many points in this movie. Brother. <laughs> oh God! Oh, do tell. Now, there's, there's a lot of points in this movie where I just feel like Gus Van Sant is f- just flying off the rails for absolutely no reason. And it helps that River Phoenix is there because he sort of writes the course. He kind of grounds the, the film. But the other people in the movie can't do the same. So when our perspective shifts to a more Keanu Reeves-focused uh, part of the story, all of a sudden things really fall apart because Keanu Reeves can't do Shakespeare. Sure. Uh, I've, oh, I forgot that it was that. Like, I remembered <clears throat> a little bit. But So this is my second time watching it. And the first time, it didn't connect with me. And that was like... 13 years ago or something uh when the cartoon came out and watching it now kind of like expect like knowing what to expect i uh it felt a lot more natural to me <clears throat> and uh, there are a lot of things that i i liked that i can talk about as we move on but um uh i'm, I'm not surprised that it wouldn't click with people it, it's not like a easily digestible movie but um uh coleman you you brought up a, a point uh when i watch this with my dad every time river River Phoenix was in it. He goes, you know who that is, don't you? You watch my own private you Idaho with your, with your dad? dad? <laughs> no, not yes. Yeah, I'm sure. It's good father son film. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about what it is, Steve or anybody. Well, uh, Jake, you want to take this one by the reins? Yeah. So this is my first time seeing this, and I had always been wanting to watch it. And when I when it ended, I was just kind of sitting there like. Huh. So that happened. Um, it's not bad, and River Phoenix and Keanu, I think, do a lot of great work in this film to uh, kind of keep it on track. But a lot of it at times comes off as this like insufferable method acting class that at times becomes a real chore to watch, and which is really unfortunate, too, because um, I just heard so many positive things about this film before going into it, and I, I wanted to, you know, really just come out and love it, but I, I don't think it really, not, none of it really carries itself very profoundly, and it's, it, it's very stylish, and it's very gorgeously shot, but mm-hmm. um, again, there's not, not really much to grasp onto, except except for the leads of the two performances, because I think without them, this film would not really be remembered at all. Yeah, and I know originally Gus Van Zandt was planning on, because he couldn't get funding for this movie, Shocker, uh, he was planning on shooting it with just street kids. Like, he was just going to get, you know, uh, Larry Clark style and just grab a bunch of kids and just have them do it. Was he going to grab the kids in the same way Larry Clark probably does? Yeah, yeah, that's probably true as well. Hey! Uh... Yeah, Jesus. There's there's so many things in this movie that I like isolated, like in a vacuum. Sure, but I never like felt like the, anything. Uh, like the for campfire me. scene. Oh is, god, the campfire oh scene god. is like perfect. It's that, beautiful. That scene is yeah. That scene is re- remarkable. Uh, so these guys are like like street johns, uh, like male prostitutes, and uh, uh, basically Keanu is is straight. Like he's in this scene, but he's not. Well, I don't know if he's straight or not, but he's not gay, and I think right. And then I think he says that at some point. And then he's, he's gay for pay is what it's called. Yeah, he's yeah. And then um, River Phoenix like falls in love with him. But the way that that is uh, traversed, I thought was really nice. It's not just like him fawning over him. They have this campfire scene where he like sort of just like admits it to him. And man, River Phoenix just like knocks it out of the park. And Keanu like just has to say no. And the way that's done is really well. But um, <clears throat> or well done. What, what what I really like about it what, is that like you know it's obviously you know it's from '91 and it's in this boom like indie phase, and um, it's interesting that that uh, he was going to shoot it with street kids because it you know it is a lot of just like um, I could see it next to something like uh, that Linklater movie Slacker, Slacker. yeah, yeah, yeah. Slacker, yeah. yeah. Um, 
it's 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 very much just like hanging out with these people and um but like this unlike slacker is like a cornerstone of queer cinema but the film isn't captured by just calling it that tag of like a queer film um it's like as the aesthetics and the character development and the way that the narrative moves is so nice i thought and understated but um it captures like the marginalization of these people who do this for a living without it feeling like didactic about uh this movement or or just like queer kids in portland in the early 90s like it feels so clearly from the gaze of someone who thinks of these people as a living like acceptable lifestyles or just like like normal like some it feels like it's from the gaze of somebody who fits in really well with these people and gus van sant obviously being gay like that probably helps but um it just it didn't feel like didactic in the in the sense that like this is a move this is part of gay cinema that that is preaching this I, I don't know it just it feels very uh i don't Understated. know lived subtle yeah it, it that's again i feel i almost feel bad that i didn't like this movie because uh, it's all right steve i didn't really at all either it's for me i if it were just about what we're describing that central sort of relationship and this road trip trying to find uh, his mother and falling in love with this guy and how, being rejected and and all of that works really well, but there's so much fat in this movie. All the Shakespeare nonsense uh, and all the narcolepsy. You know, yeah, the narcolepsy is is just a really kind of twee touch from and it it feels very early '90s of that indie scene and it's I I can't, I had very little tolerance for the first act, especially when it was trying to. A lot of it was just like, oh, I saw Paris, Texas. Uh, let's <laughs> let's emulate that for a while. Oh, oh, I also saw Stalker the other day, or Stalker, sorry, Slacker the other day. Yeah, it doesn't have anything to do with Stalker, sorry. <laughs> That's too bad. That would be better. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I saw Slacker. Let's insert this this kid talking to the camera who's not even in the damn film. And it, I, I think I, if it was if it was uh, influenced by Stalker, it would just be that shot of the road for like thirty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah okay. it's uh, for me. It was just so all over the place, and it, it could have used a nice dollop of formalism. Yeah, there's a few things that I just, yeah, I, I couldn't connect with, especially in the first act. Like, it's almost like the the movie doesn't find its footing until about 45 minutes in. Uh, like, oh god, that that scene inside of the porn shop where all of the like the the, the porn magazine covers just start talking to each other for some reason. Mm-hmm. I, I that just I don't know that that really rub me the wrong way i i just i didn't i didn't understand Interesting. It. I didn't, it didn't really play in anything else in the movie at all and the shakespeare stuff i didn't like that either i was like what the fuck is this henry the fifth and then i looked it up on wikipedia afterwards <laughs> it's like oh, actually it's uh, seeds from henry the fourth and henry the fifth <laughs> okay great uh, thank you maybe you guys should just all rewatch this in like 10 years and and then like i not seriously but um <laughs> i think i think it is a movie that's so odd that um that it is not comfortable to watch the first time. Like, you know, f- figuring out what it is is, is not comfortable. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's fair. And, and it's, on, it's a movie I'd, I'd like to give a second shot at. So, Yeah, and on top of what you said, Steve, about the things that you didn't like, I also thought that the way he shot the sex scenes is also very... I mean, I understand it was definitely a stylistic choice, but it, it completely fell flat for me. How. Mm. Well, yeah, it was filming the sex scenes as still photographs, still but they weren't photographs. It was just the actors holding still in poses. Uh, maybe that was a nod to La Jetée. I haven't well, seen that. A lot of the tricks he pulled out, it just felt kind of student film-ish, and I sure. I just wasn't a big fan of the visual style for the most part. Uh and again, like Steve was referencing uh, Paranoid Park as something where he kind of did go that route and had a largely amateur cast. And it, it it does have a really similar feel. And it works a lot better, probably because it has Christopher Doyle cinematography and uh, sure. yeah, Fellini music. And it all he just had a lot more money and uh, experience and crafted a, a similar project in a different way that worked better for me i, I guess the, the question is because i think out of all of us myros you probably dislike this movie the most um would this movie be better if it was just a super cut of the udo kier 
dance to. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot. He, he also saw like Blue Velvet a couple times before this too. So there was some. Oh god. Uh, <laughs> but calling it like uh, saying saying that you you feel like parts of it were student film. I I think that that's a uh, to me at least something that I associate with like the majority of these uh, early '90s, late '80s indie boom films. And as someone who just watched Train Spotting, uh, that's one where I actually like thought that a lot. Like watching these two close together, I was just uh, I I definitely um, thought that in Train Spotting that was much more like this guy doesn't know how to make a emotional movie. He's just doing like a lot of antics. Um, I didn't feel that way as much with this movie, but I definitely think that that is pervasive in in these '90s indie movies. Mm-hmm. Steve Coleman, yeah. I want to hear your sweet, sultry voice. Uh, would, you, would you have sex with Udo Kier and give him your motorcycle? Probably, actually. <laughs> or just clean for him. Just, yeah, probably. Well, I don't know. I'd find a happy medium, I think. He deserves it. Yeah, right? clean, clean the motorcycle. That's, that's what's in the middle there. I will say, though, that um, from my own experience with uh, this film, it was sort of like... I feel like with like a lot of the film classes I was taking and when I was just getting into independent film, this one was really like forced upon me a lot by one of my professors, not personally forced upon the entire class. And it kind of like turned me off a little bit to just like, um, like to the idea of indie film. And it made me just want to, uh, I don't know. Watch watch, Godzilla um, 98. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Or watch Speed. <laughs> oh, God. I keep... <laughs> yeah, I guess we, we should just all watch Speed. Another Keanu. But, it, you know, it was just like, this is this is what it's all about. And I obviously, that's not the case, even based on our discussion here, which isn't to take anything away from the film. But I've always just had a bad taste in my mouth about it just because, I don't know, it, it felt like one of those things, like, if you don't like it, if you don't understand it, then you're there's something wrong with you and you shouldn't be, like in the film program at the University of Minnesota. Oh, Jesus. Sure, it's it's like a movie that, like, if you told me it was Jim Jarmusch from that era, I would be like, yeah, okay, I, I buy that. And that's just not the sort of stuff I go in for from that indie scene. I'm way more into Soderbergh, who is uh, has definitely a very separate and unique aesthetic from what Van Sant was trying to do at the time. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Does, that mean, does that mean you don't like Jim Jarmusch? Uh, I I really watched him at a time when I was not willing to like Jim Jarmusch, so I, I can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> Unwilling to like Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. I saw Dead Man when I was about 20, and I was like, shut this off. I can't tolerate it. And But I, he's due for some revisiting. I, I've seen I, some I, stuff that I did quite enjoy. Yeah, I adore him, and I would not compare Idaho to a Jim Jarmusch film. I feel like I'm still getting something out of a Jim Jarmusch film, even how slow and deliberate it may be. There's still a weight to it that I just couldn't find here with my own private Idaho. I think um, Soderbergh and Jarmusch and Van Sant have always been like hit and miss for me. Like their catalogs are all very spotty for me. Um, But I think out of all of them, like as far as like emotional appeal, I don't think the other two could make a scene like that campfire scene. And maybe that's more River Phoenix than anything else, but... Uh, well, he actually, he wrote that scene, too, River Phoenix did. Sure. Um, because he, he came up to Gus and he said, hey, I rewrote this scene, we're going to do it this way. I talked to Keanu, and Gus is like, all right, roll the camera, and that's what happened. Wow. Interesting. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Good job, River Phoenix. Well, yeah. you can't hear this, but... <laughs> can hear it up in heaven. That's right. Would you know my podcast <laughs> if you heard it in heaven? Yeah. All right. Sorry, I got a little number uh, one on God's Metallica iTunes. Band. That's right. All right. Well, let's talk about a serious movie. God. <laughs> let's talk about the most serious movie out of all all, all three that we watched. Uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out, the sequel to Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Can you believe that these three movies were made in the same year? Like, I'm establishing myself as an action hero. I'm establishing myself as an indie darling. I'm establishing myself as the stereotype that I will be remembered as for the next decade. Yeah, it's pretty great. It's wild. It's totally wild. And well, you, but, I think even uh, like Point Break and Bogus Journey were released within weeks of each other. Wow. Keanu was competing with himself. 
And like, what? Why did they release Bogus Journey in 1991? It just seems like such a relic of the 80s that it would be. Uh, well, it did bomb, and I guess that makes sense. Uh, it only because, like, well, Excellent Adventure only came out like two or three years before that. So yeah, I guess it was like a whole timing issue because they like filmed Excellent Adventure in '87, and then it didn't get uh, picked up until '89, and then. By the time Bogus Journey came around, it was like hair metal is dead. This is stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's that's a big part of it. It's just there's a, a seismic cultural shift at the time, and Bill and Ted wasn't exactly funny or cool. And it's well, essentially a parody of a parody. No, they did have the ring pops. That's true. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a parody of a parody, but in a lot of ways, it works better than the original. Which I don't know if that's heresy or not. Is is it fair to say that this might be the better movie? I, I I agree. I, agree. Yeah. I, I also wow. agree. Yeah. And here and here, I thought I was going to have a uh, an opinion that that you guys could call me an idiot for. Okay, I feel better about. I myself wish now. I I wish I would have rewatched this just so I can be a contrarian <laughs> asshole. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what you do the best, Sean. You're like a rash, a rash that I love. Uh, it's, uh another thing that my dad would say. <laughs> so this movie. It, really. it, it actually it, it took a while to get the the ball rolling on it, and one of the big problems they ran into is the writers really wanted to call this Bill and Ted Go to Hell, but the studio was like, "No, this is a PG movie. You can't call it Goes to Hell." <laughs> and this is also like right around the same time that like Jason Goes to Hell was a thing. So and Ernest Goes to Hell. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's basically the plot is uh bill and ted are killed by evil robot versions of themselves from the future and uh are, are sent to hell where they have to play death or uh, the grim reaper in a in a very various games not just chess other things twister twister uh battleship shoots and ladders i think Maybe? Uh, no, most amusingly... Oh, clue, clue, clue. Yeah, clue. that's it. That's it. Yeah, we find out Death has terrible smelling feet. Mm-hmm. And he's a vegetarian. An incredibly sensitive guy, too. Well, then they give him a Melvin. Oh, yeah, they do give him a Melvin. They give him a... <laughs> Which, what is a Melvin? Is that like a front wedgie? I think it's a front wedgie. Mm. Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> We're yeah, I, wish I, I wish I would have uh, watched this instead of watching Little Buddha. <laughs> It probably wouldn't have been a good move. But one of, one of the things that actually really stuck out to me in this movie was, uh, why are the special effects so good? Th- this movie can't have a huge budget, but the special effects are, they're, they're punching pretty high above their weight class. It's just insanely good stuff. Uh, in the beginning, when the, the robot versions are kind of like ripping off their Keanu faces or whatever, mm-hmm. it looks incredible. Uh, and Jesus Christ, the terrifying shit that you see in hell, like that disgusting grandmother that's just chasing them down a hollway. It's fucking that, bonkers. That reminded me a little of a dream child. Which oh, is yeah. also played by fucking Alex Winter for no reason. It's just in a grandma suit. <laughs> yeah, because why not? Yeah, he plays his own grandma. Yeah. And and there's there's tons of fun little references, too. Uh, eventually they get to heaven, and it basically looks like just a big set piece from like a, a 1940s movie. Um, obviously, the seventh, the seventh seal stuff is interesting. And the other thing that really stuck out to me too was just when they're in hell, it's got this whole like German expressionism look to it. So <laughs> I, it makes me wonder just how much of this. Obviously, the the Bergman stuff was intentional, but how many of these things were just baked in, and how many things were just coincidental. Uh, that's interesting. You know what Hell also reminded me of was uh, like the movie Cube. For no reason. <laughs> I'm like, well, this predates that. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah, Bogus Journey is it's funny too. I actually laughed out loud, which I don't even do with modern comedies that I haven't seen a thousand times as a child. And also, this is a movie that I saw a thousand times as a kid, and it was still funny, unlike Suburban Commando. Do you remember that? You remember my fucking Vietnam, Adam Myers? I was frozen today, brother. <laughs> still hilarious. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, That's 25 this year, too. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, oh. Lord. 
Well, that's the thing about this is that for whatever reason, they spent what money they had wisely. Like the animatronics and the makeup effects are all pretty top notch. And the look of like a Bergman parody could go wrong. And it, it looked it looked right. It was it was spot on. And the first movie in the series looks cheap as all get out. It's, it's a really slapdash movie. And yeah, they, they did well with their money, uh, except for casting, perhaps would be my main gripe with this because. They like inexplicably switched out the the female leads, and I don't know if George Carlin was just like "fuck this," but he spends the entire movie dressed as Pam Greer. <laughs> hey, that's that's everybody's dream. That's where yeah. all the budget went, man. Pam Greer. I thought I, I thought all the money went to getting the the bass player from Faith No More to show up. <laughs> uh, I thought it went all to I thought I thought it went all to speed, like the drug. Uh, they don't do drugs in Bill and Tantra. No. <laughs> They're sober sallies. Come on. They didn't spend it on speed? No. You're not going to uh, get this speed joke in, Sean. It's not going to work <laughs> for you. You could, you <laughs> could get that pry bar out. You can try and stick it in here. It's not going to work for you. No, but uh, what, time, what, what part of the year? Was this a summer release? Yep. Great question. Oh, yeah. yeah was, do you guys, uh, do you like guys... I said, within weeks of Point Break. Sure. I, th- like I don't July. know. I feel like it would have made like a really sweet November release. And why is that? <laughs> uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm, why I'm, did you set him up? Oh, like, yeah. Sweet November. Like Sean's having a walk in the clouds oh, up there. Oh boy, I, I'm not going to take this anymore. <laughs> I'm try- if you want to know, if- to give you, I'm trying to give you the gift <sighs> of laughter. You know, honestly though, the money probably went to licensing that Kiss song at the end. That probably cost him at least half the budget. It probably oh. cost him at least forty-seven Rona. And then the the Jim Henson. <laughs> Oh my God! Wow, you're really burning the John Wick at both ends. <laughs> Sorry, I will excuse myself to the lake house. Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knew there were other people in Faith No More? If you're gonna get a Faith No More cameo, you'd think you'd be like, "Oh yeah, oh, where's Mike, Mike Patton? What's he up to?" <laughs> we got this other fucking guy. Out. Got, yeah, the guy that they literally have to say, "Oh wow, it's so and so from Faith No More." Oh, okay, because I definitely wouldn't recognize him otherwise. So thank you. Uh, uh, can I can I be the devil's advocate for a second? Please, Sean. <laughs> Go right ahead. Wait, did he actually take the time to think up a line that might qualify him as said devil's advocate? <laughs> no, I think I think he's stalling now, stalling for time. <laughs> what do you, you Sorry, got? You got, got nothing. Freaked. <laughs> Get off the damn IMDb <laughs> page. That joke. That joke was much ado about nothing. <laughs> freaked also applies to Alex Winter. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it it's interesting because not only did Keanu star in these three films in '91, uh, but he starred alongside an actor who also essentially shared the lead role, and now all the actors he started alongside are dead. Oh well, that's depressing. Yeah, what Alex Winter's not dead, is he? Well, his career is. Oh, that's fair. Hey, yeah. Oh, look at that. Hey, just feeling Minnesota. Well, I don't know what you're talking about with Gary Busey. Still, uh, he directed uh, the Smosh movie, I think. Oh, the, the, the Smosh movie. What is a Smosh? What is happening? <laughs> Isn't that like a YouTube show? No, it's the. I don't know. I thought that was a YouTube thing. It was, and then it became a movie, and he oh, directed God. it. He directed it apparently. That's Smosh that's kind of like uh, what's what's that thing that you made me sit through like five years ago, Myros? The Fred movie. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. oh yeah, Fred, it's like that Fred movie. And that's and that's the same thing, right? It's just a it's a teen with a nice cool haircut just screaming, right? Same thing. No, well, that's it's two of them because it's the two Smosh guys and they come to Hollywood. And oh. Alex Winter directed it. Alex Winter directing yeah. the screaming teens. How exciting! Oh. All right. Keanu Reeves, if you had one Keanu Reeves movie, the quintessential Keanu Reeves movie, what is it? You only get one. It's your Desert Island Keanu. The Matrix. Doesn't have to be 91. Doesn't have to be 91. (laughs) Oh, then The Matrix. (laughs) So we don't get any replacements. No, no, no replacements. Oh God, Jesus! Think, take the wheel. I think I would. Ha- I would. I would have to go with Point Break for for sure. Okay, Coleman, what do you got? Johnny Mnemonic. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's an acceptable answer. Sorry, uh, that, another these jokes, here. That whole, these jokes oh, are just a chain reaction, you know. Once you start, you just can't stop. <laughs> well, I, I I would take speed. 
God. Uh, what about you, Marius? What do you got? It's got to be River's Edge. And here I thought you were going to say Babes in Toyland. Fine. No way. River's <laughs> Edge, man. River's Edge. River's Edge is amazing. Yeah, River's Edge is really... Have you never seen River's Edge? No. What the fuck is wrong with you? It's so good. It's like Baby Keanu. Yeah, what would you yeah it came out uh, when he was just a thumb sucker. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would you, you know, Steve? like, Steve, with all, like, I watch a lot of stuff, and sometimes, just, you know, something's got to give. You know what, Sean, I'm about to have an act of vengeance on you. <laughs> nice try. I, I did uh, my best there. <laughs> Steve, what's your pick? My pick is River's Edge as well. River's Edge, it's hard because if I'm going Desert Island, Keanu, I feel like I could literally watch Point Break on a loop and be cool with it. Uh, but I, I think his best role is probably in River's Edge, and that might be because Crispin Glover is a golden god. So really, my dream movie is a magical movie that doesn't exist starring Crispin Glover and River Phoenix. Maybe a buddy cop movie. <laughs> I'd watch that all day. <laughs> uh, Jake, what's your pick? I said The Matrix first. Okay, I, was, I was wondering. Okay, Yeah, I wasn't really feeling Minnesota. No? Yeah. No. Uh, this Steve? is fun. <laughs> I, I can't do this anymore. Coleman, what was yours? Dude, well, it's going to be Parenthood now. Because <laughs> that's the uh, only movie left that you haven't said yet. <laughs> Actually, I mean, John, well, I, I like I Parenthood. I'd, I think I'd pick John Wick over The Matrix, honestly. Wow. Really? Huh. No way. I like you know, I lo- I like John Wick a lot, and yeah. but I think The Matrix is just it's the qual- it's the more quality film between sure. the two. I don't think not. I've watched The Matrix in close to ten years, and it's one of those ones that I almost don't want to go back and watch because I'm afraid of what like old cynical Steve would think right now. Yeah, you don't want to. No, you don't want to enter the Matrix. No, the, shut up. The Matrix holds up really well. Um, I used to be really stupid and watch the. Uh, the sequels with the original like back to back and like a bunch of years and then i stopped doing that that's probably a good idea oh i mean how many times can you feasibly watch the matrix reloaded without like blowing your brains out see i th- was thinking that i was getting it more and more every time i watched it but it, they're just <laughs> terrible movies <laughs> probably a more like interesting question yeah. uh, what do you guys think is the worst movie in his catalog mm. i would have to say it's hard to beat a scanner darkly i haven't uh-huh. seen that what about I? I don't know about worst film, but I don't like his performance in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. He's. I mean, that's that's. There's a lot of bad in that movie, but yeah, that might pretty be horrible. my pick. How about the last time I committed suicide? What is that? Jack Kerouac movie, I think. Right. I think uh, so. Yeah. No, I be- think so. I think it's like about Jack Kerouac and. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah, it is. Neil Cassidy. It's based yeah. on a letter that they wrote to each other. There are probably worse things, but I can't think of anything I'd rather like avoid ever sitting through again than The Matrix Reloaded. It's oh, true. Oh, Jesus. This is a tough one. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go... I like to think of it as the, the shitty halfway point between The Devil's Advocate and The Matrix. Uh, I'm going to go with Constantine. Fuck that movie forever. Oh, yeah. That's not good. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget that he did that because it's it's easy to forget that movie. It's it's fucking atrocious, uh, and he he doesn't do anything to elevate it either. He's completely catatonic throughout the entire thing, and it's got horrible like early two thousand CGI. It's just everything is bad, bad. See, that's that kind of like that's a there's a, like two kinds of Keanu Reeves. I, I would say there's um there's movies like that, and oh, you know what? I want to change my answer. I pick uh, the day the Earth stood still. Oh. Uh, shit! Mm-hmm. I forgot about that. <laughs> there's a there's paycheck Keanu, which he does shit like that, and then there's uh, invested Keanu, which is like the Matrix and John Wick and Point Break, where he, he actually reacts. Cares. I disagree with people who pick the day the interested stood still because fucking Keanu speaking Mandarin is the funniest shit ever. <laughs> Yeah, there there are some good belly laughs in that one. My favorite is when uh, the the monsters are attacking or whatever, and there's that swarm of I don't know shit that kills you immediately. And so what the characters do to get away from it is they just walk underneath that little bridge in the park, and then the the bad stuff can't get them because they're under a bridge. You know? Oh yeah, that's that's oh, the best there, way to protect yourself. Has anyone seen Dangerous Liaisons? That's supposed to be good. I have no idea what that is. No. I, that's another DVD that I've that I used to own, and somehow it's vanished. But that's a Stephen Frears movie with John Malkovich and Glenn Close and Pfeiffer, and it's a costume drama, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, I have not seen that. Fucking wake up call, man. I am an FBI agent. So good. Just so good. The acting fucking wake up call. What were you going to ask, Jake? Uh, did anybody see the film he directed, The Man of Tai Chi? No. no. Uh, I actually, no. I did see it. It's, it's really good, surprisingly. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I like, I like Zen Karate Keanu more than most people, probably. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think yeah. he's underrated as a kung fu star. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, um, my favorite uh, non-affiliated OV uh, film podcast travis bickle on the riviera i was listening to uh one of their old podcast episodes um and they happened to talk about uh keanu reeves and i i think they were referencing somebody else saying this but um like an a good article or something like that that said that keanu reeves was um like sort of the only real actor um because he's reacting to everything all the time like he's reacting to everything in the scene and outside of the scene or whatever. Like he's just like a like really acting all the time and uh, in a way that some people are critical of, uh, perhaps unfairly, because that's not what we're used to with movie acting. But yeah, you you can't just... knock the guy for trying. He he certainly puts it all in sometimes, whether he needs to or not. Uh, but Wait, yeah, quick question. I got yeah. a quick question. Sure. What what the hell is this uh, Eli Roth, Keanu Reeves 2015 movie, Knock Knock? I, I've oh, heard. you haven't seen that one? No. Oh, no. that's okay. Let me let me weave a tale for you. Um, Keanu's not especially bad in this movie, but the movie is spectacularly terrible. Well, it is Eli Roth. Yeah, so, well, I, I'm going to set you up, and then you tell me how it ends. Uh, Keanu Reeves... Uh, is home alone because his wife and his kid uh, went off somewhere. It's raining outside, and two teen girls knock on his door, and he opens it up, and there's these sopping wet, sexy teens. They're like, oh, hey, mister, our car broke down. What happens next, Myros? Oh, no. Well, he the... turns him into a human centipede, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, I'm thinking that the, the women are the sinister types here. Yeah, so... come in and slice and dice him. That's right. Well, first they come in and they bang him, and then afterwards they, they slice and dice him and shame him for banging them. And that's the plot of the movie. That sounds pretty great. It's, it doesn't make a lick of sense. Like, I, it, it's, again, in classic Eli Roth form, it, it tries to say a lot more than it's capable of saying. It's... Really bad, really bad. Like Keanu Reeves doing Shakespeare, bad. Not recommended. <laughs> <laughs> but then again, I guess Eli Ross a whole other topic for us. But there's a guy who he he really thinks he's saying something, but boy, he's not saying anything at all. It's like it'd be like I'd be like another jumping the shark, but he it's like somebody who never got their feet off the ground in the first place. No, he covered himself in chum and just rolled into the fucking ocean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Eli Roth. Yeah, I, I suppose I'd like him if he never evolved past like Bravo Talking Head. <laughs> yeah, I know. Doing, like list of good horror movies, and you hear him talk, you're like, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. Just don't make a fucking movie. Just don't do it. Don't do it, Eli. Hey man, I sat through the Green Inferno. I know. I know what pain is. Uh, good on you. I'll pass. Lord. All right, Miles. What are you putting over this week? Uh, this is uh, shitty because I was going to put over the River's Edge. Oh, I, th- I thought you were going to put over the Green Inferno. Okay. So Myers is putting over Green Inferno. You can still put over River's Edge. Tell me why it's I, so great. Uh, well, you got two of the most insane people ever in Crispin Glover and uh, Dennis Hopper mm-hmm. and uh, young Keanu looking pretty uh, studly. And it's a great slice of life independent film kind of before – that became a buzzword. It's uh, really worth checking out for those of us uh, who haven't seen it. All right, Jake, how about you? What are you putting over? Um, I mentioned this earlier. I'm going to put over Hunt for the Wilder People, which is a new film by uh, Taika Watiti. He's a New Zealand director. He recently did um, What We Do in the Shadows, which is a, a mockumentary about vampires living together featuring Jermaine from Flight of the Concords. Um, but Hunt for the Wilder People, I think, is his best film so far that I've seen. I've only seen those two. Uh, it's about this uh, kid who's like a rotund 13-year-old wannabe gangster who's an orphan, and he's adopted by this family that lives out uh, in rural New Zealand. And his adopted father is uh, played by Sam Neill. And so this kid decides he doesn't want to live with them, so he runs off into the woods, and then Sam Neill uh, runs after him to you know bring him back. 
and then next thing you know, they're missing, and it sets off this huge uh, nationwide manhunt for the two of them, and they think that Sam Neill's molesting this kid in the woods, but it's actually he's not, and it's it's really funny and really charming, and uh, I don't watch the trailer because you may be put off by how twee it is, Adam, but I really enjoyed it, so... So but, better than Eagle versus Shark. Mm-hmm. Yes, that looked like garbage. I haven't even seen that. But. Uh, wait, better or worse than molesting a kid in the woods? Ooh. Well, your mileage may vary. But all right, good to know. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. But Sean, yeah, hunt for the wilder people is a lot of fun. If it's it's especially since yesterday, I tried to do a thing where I wanted to. I tried to power watch all of season four of Dexter. And uh, I gave up halfway through and just went out to the movies for a nice little diversion. I think you made the right choice. Yeah. What what network is this on or streaming channel? Hunt for the Wilder People? Yes. It's out in theaters right now. Oh, fuck. Seriously? I thought it was a show yeah. for some reason. Okay, no, cool. No, it's, it's a film. Damn. All right. Yeah. Good to know. Sean, what are you putting over? Oh, boy. I was not prepared for this. but um... <laughs> We only do it every single time. Un- Anyway, um, <laughs> I uh, the book I uh, just finished this evening um, is a new book by Jessica Valenti called Sex Object, and that might as well, that's worth putting over. Um, it's a slim book. It's like 200 pages, and uh, she, it's just like a memoir of sorts from somebody who's like, I don't know, mid-30s, 40. Um, and uh, there's three parts to it, and I the first part I was a bit shaky on, but second and third parts are really good. She talks about sort of like her dating life growing up, and it's kind of crazy. And then having a baby that has some abnormalities and makes me never want to have a child ever. Um, so it's got that going for it. Well, Sean, uh, I got some bad news for you. I'm three months in. I haven't had uh, my period yeah, for yeah. a while. Is this a junior situation? Total junior sitch, man. Sorry. Oh, I found out uh, uh, alongside Myros that there's uh, they're making triplets. What? The sequel with Arnold to twins. Yeah, it's supposed what? to have Arnold, DeVito, and Eddie Murphy, but it'll never that's, get fucking that's made. happening again. I thought yeah, they killed that. I'm sure it's not going to get made. Oh, Lord, <laughs> just like that baby in Junior. What if there was a movie where Arnold Schwarzenegger gave birth to Danny DeVito? <laughs> Singles, yeah, bingo. Stephen Coleman, what are you putting over this week? I'm gonna put over uh, Vic Berger's YouTube channel. Ooh. He's um, part of the uh, Super Deluxe crew. Uh, he's known for editing a lot of uh, like daytime talk shows. He's done a lot of uh, edits of uh, Steve Harvey <laughs> recently. Um, but oh, him, bet he can think he, like a man. Am I right? <laughs> and he and um, you should just look up uh, Steve Harvey meets his replacement just for an example of that uh, anyway I won't spoil it for you just check it out but he and uh, Tim Heidecker were just at the uh, the RNC and the DNC and I think the DNC video just came out today but um, doing the Lord's work he's also uh, if you see Vic Berger in these videos it looks like he's doing uh, Adam Myros cosplay <laughs> I, it's actually I'm, I'm going to Gen Con this week in Indianapolis. I think I'm going to do some Adam Myros cosplay. So you guys have to let me know how I look. For uh, I want to add to Steve Coleman's. For my money, uh, Vic Berger has one of the funniest Twitter feeds you could follow uh, all day long. He just retweets people who take pictures next to you know those cardboard cutouts you see at like carnivals. Uh, oh God! With the faces, <laughs> but he—it's people who take pictures standing next to them and not like in the face hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if you admire that, I'd recommend giving him a follow. That's beautiful. Yeah. I wonder how you even keyword search that. That's actually really impressive. Yeah. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. All right. I am putting over this week. Uh, I'm going to put over a video game. It's called Inside. Uh, it is from the creators of Limbo. It's fantastic. It's a little physics puzzle adventure game. You can blow through it in a night. It only took me about three hours. It's perfect. Not a wasted bit of space in it. Absolutely perfect. An adaptation of the movie? Uh, no, unfortunately, there's there's no like pregnant scissor stabbing going on. So no, it's that's not the French horror movie. Damn shame. I know it really is. It's it's got quite the ending though. It's got a a little bit of a crazy Cronenbergian twist at the end that uh, really makes it so good stuff. I think it's on PC and Xbox One. So if you have either one of those things, you should check it out. Mars, you should check it out. You'd actually like it. I'm too afraid of the PC police. 
Oh god damn it, Sean! I am gonna fillet you, and, and just I'm I'm gonna wear your skin like a jacket. You say you're gonna fillet me? <laughs> All right. What is going on here? Oh god damn it, Sean! God damn it! All right, guys. So, uh, Sean, where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, M R G O I N I S. Mr. Glennis. All right, Steve Coleman at Colemania. How the fuck do I spell that? That's K O H L M A N I A. Young blood. Jake, where are you at? I'm at Jake Tropila. It's J A K E T R O P I L A. Artist formerly known as Lance Stargrove. Flying like you've never flown, Stargrove. And Myros <laughs> isn't on the internet. So uh, look at me. Look him up on MySpace.com. Uh, you can find me at Steve Cuff. Uh, you can follow all of us at Optimism Vaccine to see what else we're up to. You can go to OptimismVaccine.com for all of our other podcasts, articles, all kinds of good shit coming down the pipeline. And other than that, I guess that's it. So, Steve uh, Coleman. Before, before Coleman's last word, do you guys think that like in podcast bit, like before Twitter, they each shared their P.O. boxes? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what they would do. I'd probably email addresses. I, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, send us. Uh, we have a P.O. box. You can send us all your fan mail. Steve, what's your P.O. box? Uh, my P.O. box is uh, shit. I wish I knew your address, Sean, because I just, I just <laughs> say that live on air and then tell people to send you pictures of their genitals. Uh, but yeah, Steve Coleman, last word's yours. Keanu. Keanu.